0: By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the
1: information. There's a lot for investors to be anxious about today, including the conflict in Ukraine, surging inflation, rapidly rising interest rates, and depreciating currencies. Emerging markets, and investors in particular, are taking a step back. For example, last week, the Chinese stock market recorded its steepest losses since 2008, and emerging market bond funds are suffering their largest outflows of capital on record this year. So today, we ask, amid heightened macroeconomic and geopolitical risks, what does the future hold for emerging markets, and where are there still opportunities for growth? I'm William Foster of Moody's Sovereign Risk Group, and this is Moody's Talks, The Big Picture, where we answer the big questions facing credit markets. On this episode, we have a special interview. Last week, Moody sponsored a South Africa Risk Summit in Johannesburg with keynote speaker Mark Mobius. Mark's a legendary emerging markets investor with decades of experience. My colleague, Atzi Shef, the head of Moody's strategy and research team, sat down with Mark during that event to record a conversation for a podcast. Atzi asked Mark for his thoughts on emerging market risks and opportunities in the current macro environment, the effects of the strong dollar, and the outlook for cryptocurrencies as an asset class. They also spoke about his long-term views on investing in Africa. We should note that the views expressed by external guests on this podcast are theirs alone and are not those of Moody's. Here's the conversation.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Atzi Shade of Moody's Investor Service coming to you from Johannesburg. And with me is Mark Mobius, who needs no introduction. Thank you very much, Mark, for being on our podcast.
2: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: Great. So Mark and I just did a a panel discussion where we discussed the outlook for emerging markets, uh, about which Mark knows a lot, and specifically what he's thinking about Africa, the African continent, cryptocurrencies and commodities. So we'll go through a few of those one by one, Mark, if that's okay with you. That's fine. So the outlook for emerging markets, you've been through a lot of different cycles as far as emerging markets are concerned, from the Asian financial crisis to the LATAM debt crisis to the global financial crisis. And now here we are, the aftermath of the pandemic, the Russia-Ukraine crisis, inflation surging, interest rates rising. How are you looking at this current crisis compared to the past? Better or worse? How will we get out of it?
2: Whenever you have a crisis, there's always an opportunity. You know, these things go together. And uh, as you rightly said, I've been through many of these crises since 1987 when we started in emerging markets. And this time is no different in the sense that the emerging markets are continuing to grow faster in GDP terms than the developed countries. And that's, by the way, has been true from the very beginning when we started this adventure. And the other factor is that, you know, people say, oh, the Ukraine war, is going to be terrible for markets. Well, if you look at history, wars have actually been good for markets. I hate to say that. I'm not recommending having a war in order to have a nice market, but that's the reality. And the other thing is the correlation between inflation and the markets, again, does not hold up very strongly. Now, in the short term, yes, people are fearful of higher inflation, of higher interest rates, which central banks want to impose. And that puts a downward pressure on the economies. But even in a poor economy, there are winners. There are companies that we can find that are good. Now, you take emerging markets. China looks terrible now. As you know, Chinese markets perform very badly. And by the way, one of the reasons why emerging markets have a bad reputation now is because everybody looks at the index, and the index is composed of 30% China. But if you then look at India, which again, 1 billion plus population, they're growing at 7%. So uh, there are great opportunities in different parts of the world, but you have not to look at the index, but look at individual companies and countries.
0: You know, Mark, every day I wake up and the headlines in the financial press are so bleak that I'm really cheered by you saying that, look, even at times when we're entering a downturn, there could be opportunities. And two, your point that, you know, a crisis may not be the same for everyone. There are some countries that have it better and some countries that have it worse. So two points to remember as we think about this global sort of downturn that we we seem to be entering. You know, one of the questions that we were asked when you delivered your keynote uh, that I thought was very interesting and I'd like to ask again is as an investor in emerging markets, you clearly look at companies. And, and you know, financial institutions as well as sovereign governments, but you also look at the macro environment, and the person asks which is more important is the macro more important, or is the entity level analysis more important when you decide to invest?
2: you really have to have both you cannot ignore the macro uh, for example, let's just take foreign exchange reserves as one macro item. if the foreign exchange reserves are deteriorating, and the possibility that the country will not be able to meet its obligations then You have to be careful. You don't want to be investing because you may not be able to get your money out. So the macro is definitely important. But then after you've looked at the macro, or let's say at the time when you're looking at the macro, you also have to look at the micro. In other words, the company level. So for example, let's say, for example, we have a company in Turkey. The Turkish lira has devalued by over 70% against the US dollar. We're investing in U.S. dollars, so we don't want to be losing as a result of the exchange rate. But the company in which we're investing is exporting its software in dollars. So it's earning dollars. Its costs are in a devaluing currency, the lira. So their profit margins are being maintained and even increased as a result of that situation. So there's an example where the macro is very important. But it has an impact on the micro, in other words, on the individual company.
0: And your your example of Turkey brings to mind the strong dollar. Uh, as you pointed out, I mean, the dollar has been strengthening not just against the lira, but against every other currency. We're in October 2022. Do you expect dollar strength to get even stronger from, from here on, or do you expect it to plateau, and how long will it remain so strong, how long will other currencies be sort of you know, weaker against the dollar?
2: Well, I think on? it's uh, beginning to plateau, because we've already seen an incredible devaluation around the world of currencies, and uh, usually the market will anticipate what is happening. The foreign exchange market is already anticipating a uh, slowdown of economies, foreign exchange reserves, deterioration, et cetera, et cetera. But of course what happens is when you have this situation with emerging countries where, or not even emerging countries, but Europe for example, importing fuel at high prices, demand declines. So then you have a situation where the situation, the foreign exchange situation improves because the the demand for foreign exchange declines. So I believe we're now probably at a plateau, uh, nearing a plateau. That's,
0: that's a really good point because people often think about the depreciation of emerging market currencies from a sense of, well, it makes it harder to repay you know, dollar debt and things like that. But there is also the, the sort of correction mechanism role that these uh, depreciations play. And, exactly. and, and you're quite right to, to point that out. And
2: by the way, you have to remember that a cheap currency entices people to travel to these countries. So you're seeing an upsurge in tourism in many of these emerging market countries, Turkey, Sri Lanka, as you know, gone through a big crisis Indeed. in other countries around the world.
0: Yeah, it, actually, very good point. It just makes them more competitive as tourist destinations and, and and in other ways as well. Yeah. Keeping to the currency theme in mind, for for just one more uh, question, we talked a little bit about cryptocurrencies. And um would just like to get your thought on, you know, you, you cover an asset class emerging markets that was thought to be volatile and risky in the past. It has come a long way. And, and yes. you've really driven the sort of research and analysis yeah. of that asset class. Cryptocurrencies is a, is a volatile and risky asset class today. What are your thoughts? Well, you that? have to
2: remember that cryptocurrencies are huge. I estimate they probably represent 2% of global money supply. 2% may not seem very big, but the velocity. Of the use of cryptocurrencies is enormous and it's having a big impact on money supply around the world. I don't think cryptocurrencies are going to disappear anytime soon because so many people believe in cryptocurrencies. And when you have this belief, it continues, you know, you begin to have it as institutionalized uh, currency. Now, many central banks are adopting their own cryptocurrencies, but, uh, those will not, in my view, be as important as free market cryptocurrencies. Cryptocurrencies that are not uh, subsumed under central banks or are not subject to the regulation of governments. Very important point.
0: Oh, that's an interesting take on it. So, Mark Mobius says CBDCs, the central bank digital currencies, may not have the same kind of take up that decentralized and, and these uh, private. Uh, cryptocurrencies might.
2: Many people are fearful that the central banks will then know where they're spending their money and where they're sending it. And uh, one of the good reasons why people have cryptocurrencies is that governments cannot see what they're doing.
0: (laughs) Indeed, indeed. Uh, No, that is a good point. And and again, this was something that that, uh, we discussed um, uh, in South Africa here today, the sort of you know, gray lists uh, that that are being made up and South Africa has has this risk of being put on it. Turning the the conversation to the African continent, maybe talk a little bit about your outlook as an emerging market expert on the African continent, near term, medium term, and then maybe a little bit about South Africa specifically.
2: We're already finding opportunities in Kenya and South Africa and we're looking at other countries in Africa. I believe over the longer term, Africa is going to become more and more important, not only because of the size, of the land area, size of the population, but because of the minerals and natural resources, both agricultural and mineral resources that Africa has. And don't forget, oil and gas. Already, the Europeans are building pipelines to supply more and more gas from Africa. So I think Africa is going to become much more important in the future. So we really have to pay attention to what's happening here.
0: mm mm-hmm. And a really good point on sort of the demographic resources as well as the natural resources as in 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 the years to come, uh, something that that sort of allows for for the growth potential to be fulfilled. Why, then, Mark, have we not seen that kind of growth in Africa so far? Uh, what will it take to really take this potential and turn it into reality?
2: I think the big problem is governance, as you know. Uh, governments around the world have corruption, have problems, but Africa really has that in spades. And so it's very difficult to organize societies if you have a bad uh, government situation, corrupt governments, etc. But that is gradually being solved because of digitization. As governments now are able to digitize their economy, as people begin to digitize their economies, you'll find that it'll be more and more difficult for corruption to take place. And also, it'll be easier for those elements that want good governance to uh, attain their objectives. So I believe the digitization of economies in Africa will be very, very important going forward.
0: And just as we reach the end of our time, you've brought us to a very hopeful place, Mark, with your thought that the possibilities for enhanced governance could lead to improved prospects for the economy as well. So we'll leave it right here. Thank you, Mark Mobius. Always a pleasure to talk with you.
1: That was Atsi Sheth of Moody's Credit Strategy and Research Team, joined by investor Mark Mobius. For more on emerging markets, please check out Moody's Talks Emerging Markets Decoded Podcast. On the latest episode, our analysts discuss refinancing risks for emerging markets companies in today's tight financial conditions. Until next time, I'm William Foster, and this is Moody's Talks, The Big Picture.
0: Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com podcasts.